Welcome back to Hit Parade, a podcast of pop chart history from Slate Magazine about the hits from coast to coast. I'm Chris Melanfi, chart analyst, pop critic, and writer of Slate's Why Is This Song Number One series. On our last episode, we walked through the first two decades of Barbara Streisand's career, how she emerged as a Broadway star, movie star, and yes, pop star, virtually simultaneously, and how she struggled to adapt to contemporary music before finally finding an approach in the mid-70s that consistently generated hits. We are now at the end of the 70s. Disco is on the wane. But Barbara is about to score her biggest pop album ever by teaming with a leading disco singer and songwriter. By 1980, the leading acts of disco were all finding ways to pivot their careers amidst the disco backlash. Streisand's friend, Donna Summer, not long after their hit duet, pivoted toward a fusion of dance pop and synthesized rock on her 1980 album, The Wanderer. Chic, the hit-making disco group led by Nile Rodgers and Bernard Edwards that had revolutionized dance music and even helped launch hip-hop in the closing months of 1979, increasingly turned their attention toward production and songwriting for other acts. Sheik's greatest 1980 triumph was producing and writing the album Diana, the transformative post-disco blockbuster by Motown legend Diana Ross. You might say the chic approach was also the strategy being pursued by Barry, Robin, and Morris Gibb, the Bee Gees. They scored the last of their string of Hot 100 number ones in the summer of 79. which was around the time Barry Gibb met Barbara Streisand. Impressed by Barry's hit-making skill, Barbara asked him if he would write some songs for her next album. Gibb upped the ante. He offered to produce the entire album and write all of the songs with his brothers. All Streisand had to do was show up and sing. Even more so than Chic with the Diana LP, Streisand's 1980 album would be, in essence, a Bee Gees album fronted and personified by Barbara Streisand. The hallmarks of the Bee Gees production style were all over the LP. But it was lush, urbane pop, not exactly dance music. 
Barry Gibb had cleverly adapted his style for a singer with a titanic voice, and an audience that was now allergic to falsetto vocals and Studio 54 beats. It turned out Barry Gibb could do 80s diva pop as adeptly as he'd done disco. The Streisand album didn't have a title until near the end of recording, when Streisand asked Gibb for one more up-tempo song. Barry wrote one with both Robin and Morris, the album's only song penned by all three Gibb brothers, a bop with a Yacht Rock-style bounce, and Barry sang it with Barbara as a duet. The song and the album would be called Guilty. In a remarkable promotional move for Guilty's album cover, Streisand photographed herself in a hug with Barry Gibb, both of them clad in disco-era white. Rather than hide the involvement of the lead BG, she was showcasing him, even though her name was the one above the title. For the first single, Columbia went with the LP's sultriest song, a pseudo-feminist tone poem co-written by Barry and Robin Gibb that Streisand found lyrically inscrutable, but nonetheless, she sang the hell out of it. It was called Woman in Love. And it was an instant smash, the fastest breaking solo single of Barbara Streisand's career. Within two months, Woman in Love was on top of the Hot 100, the very same week the Guilty album reached number one on the album chart. Even for Barbara, this was exceptional. Her biggest chart success not accompanied by a movie, Broadway show, or TV telecast. Guilty blew up based on the songs and Barbara's own imperial pop profile. Not only did Guilty become Streisand's top-selling studio album ever, quintuple platinum sales in the U.S. alone, and a reported 15 million sold worldwide, it also generated the most hits. After Woman in Love, Barbara and Barry's Guilty duet reached number three. Finally, in early 1981, the heartbroken ballad What Kind of Fool, another Barry Gibb duet, reached number 10. What, what kind of fool? What kind of fool? 
It was the last wave of Streisand's imperial phase on the singles charts, and Barbara made it count. A 1981 compilation called Memories essentially prolonged the guilty era, collecting a handful of Streisand's recent hits and adding a new song, Coming In and Out of Your Life, that rose to number 11 on the pop chart in early 82. Now possessing the clout to get any project greenlit, Streisand took a multi-year break from the pop charts to direct and star in her dream project, the movie Yentl. The story of an early 20th century Jewish woman in Poland who disguises herself as a man to study the Talmud, the film was both a historical drama and a musical drawing on all of Streisand's talents. A song from the Yentl soundtrack, The Way He Makes Me Feel, briefly cracked the top 40 in late 1983. For this film, her directorial debut, Streisand won a Golden Globe, the first woman to win the Globe's Best Director Prize. Although she was not nominated for Best Director at the Academy Awards, a controversial snub at the time not unlike Greta Gerwig's misnomination for Barbie in this year's Oscar race, the music from Yentl was nominated. At the 1984 Oscar ceremony, Streisand's friend Donna Summer sang the movie's Papa, Can You Hear Me? live. Papa, can you hear me? Papa, can you see me? Papa, can you find me in the For the record, the Yentl music did win the Oscar for Best Original Song Score, a now-defunct prize. But in Best Original Song, both Papa Can You Hear Me and The Way He Makes Me Feel lost out to the theme from Flashdance, the Irene Cara sung Flashdance, What a Feeling. It was a telling defeat. Four years into the 80s, pop had shifted once again, past Streisand's style of balladry, toward synth-driven technopop and new wave. When Barbara returned to recording in 1984, she tried to adapt. She worked with iconoclastic songwriter-producer Jim Steinman, whom we covered in-depth in a prior Hit Parade episode. Steinman was riding high at the time, having just topped the charts with Bonnie Tyler's bombastic Total Eclipse of the Heart. So, Streisand took on her own bombastic Steinman power ballad. But the pairing proved a less-than-ideal fit. 
serving as the lead single of Streisand's 1984 album Emotion. It was also her first video to appear on MTV. Left in the Dark only reached number 50 on the Hot 100. We'll be back momentarily. It had now been almost five years since Streisand had scored a major hit LP. In a counterintuitive move, rather than go deeper into MTV-style pop, Streisand sought refuge in the arena where she'd first made her name, Broadway. Only, she didn't return to the stage. In fact, after the 60s, Streisand never trod the boards again. Rather, Barbara would bring Broadway to her next album. She called it, duh, the Broadway album. Columbia, Streisand's label, fought the idea at first. They wanted Barbara to attempt another contemporary pop album. But Streisand's contract still granted her creative control, so the Broadway album it was. Streisand recorded show tunes by a range of composers, from Rodgers and Hammerstein to George and Ira Gershwin. But the LP's highlights were mainly songs by musical theater legend Stephen Sondheim, who worked directly with Streisand on the lyrical arrangements of her recordings. For the album's first single, Barbara covered the West Side Story classic, co-written by Sondheim and Leonard Bernstein, Somewhere. Streisand even got Sondheim to write new lyrics for some of his most famous songs, including Putting It Together from his show Sunday in the Park with George, or from A Little Night Music, the melancholy classic Send in the Clowns, which had already been a 70s hit for Judy Collins. But where are the clowns? Quick, send in. At Streisand's request, Sondheim wrote a new second bridge for Send in the Clowns that musically filled in a plot point from the original show. Barbara was the first person to sing this new verse. For theater nerds, these details were delightful. For the record-buying public, however, it was potentially very inside baseball. Would it sell? Did it ever? Somewhere. 
Released just before Christmas 1985, the Broadway album went to number one on the album chart by early 86 and ultimately went quadruple platinum. Streisand's bestseller since Guilty, and an album that could not have been less like that previous blockbuster. Now, here's an interesting chart footnote. When the Broadway album reached number one, the LP it ejected from the top spot was the soundtrack to the smash NBC TV show Miami Vice. Vice starred actor Don Johnson as the pastel-wearing Miami cop Sonny Crockett. The show made Johnson, momentarily, so galactically famous that he briefly pursued a pop career. If you can recall Don Johnson's 1986 top five hit, Heartbeat, you have my sympathies. Why do I bring all this up? Because, in late 1987, Don Johnson began dating Barbara Streisand. Uncanny, right? The whirlwind romance, which lasted just under a year, resulted in Johnson's only other Top 40 hit, a duet with Streisand called Till I Loved You. Streisand's 1988 album, also titled Till I Loved You, went top 10 and platinum. The duet with Johnson, not so much. It peaked at number 25, by which time he and Streisand had broken up. Never let it be said that Babs is unwilling to share the spotlight. By the late 80s and early 90s, the charts were awash in titanic divas with powerhouse vocals, singing like it was an athletic competition. Although some of these vocalists emerged from the R&B or gospel tradition, in a way they were all following Barbara Streisand, who was the rock era's premier athletic vocalist. Whether it was Whitney Houston or Mariah Carey, or the vocalist who perhaps most emulated the Streisand approach, Celine Dion. But by the 90s, Streisand was more focused on her directorial career, not competing with these divas. Barbara helmed 1991's The Prince of Tides, co-starring herself with Nick Nolte. 
Though it was not a musical, Barbara did record a song for the soundtrack that was a minor adult contemporary radio hit. The 90s was also when Streisand became more of a pop culture icon than an ordinary celebrity, for better and for worse. On the affectionate side, Saturday Night Live's Mike Myers played performatively Jewish talk show host Linda Richman, who treated Barbara as an object of worship. This show is dedicated, as ever, to Barbara Joan Streisand. <laughs> Yes. We love her. We love her. And of course, the big news, Prince of Toys. Seven Oscar nominations total, including Best Picture. But Barbara did not get a nomination for Best Director. It's so unfair. Now I'm getting emotional. I'm a little verklempt. Talk amongst yourselves. By the way, in that 1992 sketch, Linda Richmond's friend Liz was played by Madonna. To show that she was a good sport, Barbara herself surprised both Myers and Madonna by making a cameo. Well, that's all the time we have this week. My name is Linda Richmond. And my name is Liz. Barbara, we love you. Hello, gorgeous. The movie was like butter. Like butter. All this talk about food, I'm getting hungry, girls. <laughs> In 1993, Robin Williams briefly lampooned Streisand in the hit movie Mrs. Doubtfire. No one in the movie said whom he was imitating. It was meant to be obvious, and it was. Don't tell me not to live, just sit and putter. Life's candy and the sun's a ball of butter. Don't bring around a cloud to rain on my parade not working. I need to go older. Older? You mean like uh, Shelley Winters older or Shelley McLean older? What's the difference? Some scotch tape and red hair dye. And on the nastier side, South Park creators Trey Parker and Matt Stone depicted Streisand as a narcissist and outright villain in a 1998 episode of their animated series. I'm going Streisand. So? So? Well, so I'm a very famous and very important individual. Like John Elway important? What? Later in the episode, Streisand enlarges into a Godzilla-sized villain and wrecks the town, only to be stopped by Robert Smith of The Cure. It makes more sense on the show. Or maybe less. Anyway. Notwithstanding South Park's snide portrayal, these pop culture references to Streisand indicated what a massive cultural figure she had become. Moreover, Mike Myers's comical fan Linda Richman did accurately portray a significant chunk of Barbara's fanbase, which gave her music career a solid foundation. The fact was, whatever Streisand issued on disc, a hardcore of Linda Richmond's were guaranteed to buy it. So, 
For example, when Streisand issued a sequel to her 1985 Broadway album in 1993, simply titled Back to Broadway, The CD predictably debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 album chart. Four years later, when she released an album loosely themed around inspirational music called Higher Ground, featuring a duet with her protege Celine Dion. That CD also debuted atop the album chart. Unlike the 60s or the 70s, when Streisand had to prove herself with each project and certain albums could and did underperform on the charts, by the 90s, she was a known quantity. She could take years off between albums and come back fairly secure that her latest output would be welcomed she would score nearly half of her record roster of number one albums after age 50. Streisand's more amazing mid-90s chart feat was that she scored an actual hit pop single. It came from her 1996 film The Mirror Has Two Faces, her third directorial project. For the soundtrack, Barbara recorded a duet with Canadian rocker and frequent movie balladeer Brian Adams, titled I Finally Found Someone. Perhaps Babs was benefiting from Brian's profile more than he was benefiting from hers. Adams was coming off a string of chart-topping 90s movie soundtrack hits like Everything I Do, I Do It For You, All For Love, and Have You Ever Really Loved A Woman. Nonetheless, at age 54, Streisand was scaling the charts again. In December 1996, I Finally Found Someone reached number 8 on the Hot 100, her first top 10 hit in 15 years since the string of hits from her Guilty album. Streisand's duet even made the top 20 on pop radio playlists, alongside hits by Tony Braxton, Hootie and the Blowfish, and Alanis Morissette. We'll be right back. While I Finally Found Someone was Barbara Streisand's last Hot 100 hit, she did not settle quietly into the elder stateswoman phase of her career. Babs kept recording new material and landing on various Billboard charts. In late 1999, a duet with country star Vince Gill put Barbara on the Hot Country Songs chart. If you ever leave me, will you take me with you? If you're ever lonely, I won't In 2005, 
On the 25th anniversary of her blockbuster Guilty album, Streisand reunited with Barry Gibb for a sequel album of all new material titled Guilty Pleasures. A top five seller on CD, Guilty Pleasures also generated a dance hit, the neo-disco banger Night of My Life, which reached a stunning number two on Billboard's club play chart. The club community loves a mature diva. But Streisand's most age-defying 21st century feats were on the Billboard 200 album chart. In late 2009, Chart watchers were eagerly anticipating a new album from pop titan Mariah Carey. Mimi was coming off a string of number one CDs and singles like We Belong Together and Touch My Body. And her new CD, Memoirs of an Imperfect Angel, was led by an instant top ten hit, Obsessed. What chart watchers were not anticipating, including Billboard's own editors, who admitted they were blindsided by this outcome, was for a CD released on the same day as Carrie's, Barbara Streisand's Love is the Answer, to take the number one spot instead. We had our day, now that's This gave Streisand her first number one album of the aughts, extending her chart-topping prowess into a fifth decade. Five years later, Streisand extended that streak into a sixth decade, with her 2014 chart-topper, Partners. After her long history as the queen of hit duets, Barbara released a new album composed entirely of duets, many of them remakes of her earlier hits. For example, her 1981 hit What Kind of Fool, originally a pairing with Barry Gibb, was reimagined for the Partners album as a duet with soul singer John Legend. Partners went gold instantly, and eventually platinum, remarkable at a time when album sales were down across the board. And Streisand still wasn't done pulling album chart upsets. In 2016, she released a sequel called Encore, Movie Partners Sing Broadway. This time, her duet partners were Hollywood stars, moonlighting as vocalists. Some of them really held their own with Babs, including Star Trek film heartthrob Chris Pine. The children's carousel, the chestnut trees, the wishing well. Oh, I'll be seeing you in every lovely song. 
The week that the Encore album arrived, Billboard chart watchers were expecting the number one spot to go to the latest album by bro country duo Florida Georgia Line. But yet again, Team Billboard underestimated the Barbara Hive. At age 74, Streisand ruled the album chart once again. Climb every mountain, every stream. By going to number one an 11th time, Streisand not only reset the record for women, the benchmark that Taylor Swift wouldn't surpass for another seven years. She also tied her fellow elder singing legend Bruce Springsteen, who, by the way, also has 11 number one albums. Though she has not returned to number one since 2016, Streisand has continued to record and chart. Her 2018 LP, Walls, whose lyrics were a political protest against then-President Donald Trump, generated yet another dance hit when a remix of Don't Lie to Me reached number eight on the Club Songs chart. Generations of vocalists continue to revere Barbara Streisand. Among the most prestigious of her awards was the Kennedy Center Honors. At her 2008 induction, several musicians performed in Barbara's honor, including Queen Latifah, Adina Menzel, and Beyonce. Streisand herself has not performed live in several years. She continues to speak out about politics, and where she will go to live if Trump is re-elected president. Some haters, and she has many, may welcome her exit from public life. Me? I'm hoping she scores one more number one album in the 2020s to extend that Billboard streak into a seventh decade. And regardless of how this fraught political year turns out, I do hope Barbara finds a reason to sing at least one more time. So let's tell a word about it now. Preferably the song that launched her unparalleled career all those decades ago. 
However theatrical and melodramatic, that would indeed be a happy day. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Hit Parade. Our show was written, edited, and narrated by Chris Malanfi. That's me. My producer is Kevin Bendis. Kevin also produced the latest installment of our monthly Hit Parade The Bridge shows, which are available exclusively to Slate Plus members. In our latest Bridge episode, I talk to New York Times critic-at-large Wesley Morris about his interview and profile of Barbara Streisand and what makes her career so unique. To sign up for Slate Plus and hear not only The Bridge, but all our shows the day they drop, visit slate.com slash hitparadeplus. Derek John is executive producer of Narrative Podcasts, and we had help from Joel Meyer. Special thanks this month to Yuni Hong for research assistance. Alicia Montgomery is VP of Audio for Slate Podcasts. Check out their roster of shows at slate.com slash podcasts. You can subscribe to Hit Parade wherever you get your podcasts, in addition to finding it in the Slate Culture feed. If you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us while you're there. It helps other listeners find the show. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to leading the Hit Parade back your way. Until then, keep on marching on the one. I'm Chris Malamphy. (laughs) 